Well, welcome here this morning. My name is Keith, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And we've been singing about God's great love for us. He loves you, you know. And Jesus came to change the trajectory of your story in life. Because we were all dead in our transgressions. We were enemies of God. We were people walking in darkness. But God wasn't content to leave us in death and darkness. He took on flesh in the person of Jesus. And he came not simply to show us God's profound love, but to reconcile us to God's love through his sacrifice on the cross. And through his sacrifice on the cross, he made way for us to be forgiven and reconciled with the giver of life. It's why we gather week after week. We are loved by God. We are being restored by God. And I'm delighted to be part of that alongside of you. And if you're new or a visitor, you're new to this whole Jesus thing, we, we just want to thank you for taking the risk to come out on a cold day and be in a room with a bunch of people you don't know. And we trust that somehow this morning you will meet Jesus through his Holy Spirit. He loves to meet with us. I want to take a moment just, just very quickly to, to give a real heartfelt thank you to those, uh, to you who have generously given over this last year. Uh, we had been asking for people to give uh, coming up to our year end, and, and I just want to thank you for your generosity. Uh, God has provided faithfully for this church through people like you and, and me, us. And I want to thank you for that. And here's my commitment. My commitment as a leader of this church is we want to be a church that faithfully uses and stewards the gifts of God's people for the glory of God so that people, more people in our city would come to know Jesus and grow in his gospel. That's what we're here for. And I want to thank you for your partnership in that. Uh, and, uh, and so bless you and thank you. Uh, it's been uh, great. I, I was off for a few weeks uh, of holidays with my family, and I was thankful for it. And I trust that there are some new things for you as you enter into the new year. Uh, one of the new things in, in my sister's family is she got a new puppy, which is kind of a fun Christmas thing. Are there any dog lovers out there? A few of you? All right, okay, yes, I hear you. I mean, there's maybe some cat lovers in here, and that's good too. We have a dog named Poppy. I got a picture of her on the, on the slide. Oh, we didn't get Poppy for Christmas, of course, but uh, she is quite, you know, delicate and, 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 and beautiful. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. My daughter thinks that I look like her <laughs> for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure I see the resemblance, but, but it, it is kind of funny how that happens, isn't it? Right? It, it, it's kind of funny how sometimes pet owners uh, start to look like their pets, and so I kind of had a little fun. I found a few examples uh, that I wanted to show you. So, you know, uh, it's not just, uh, you know, men in, who are 45. Sometimes, uh, you know, some older ladies can look like their pets as well. Uh, also, uh, sometimes there's the glamour shot, uh, which is kind of uh, nice. Uh, I, I really like that one. Uh, the, the next one uh, is what I call the comb over, uh, which is a really great. We start to look like our pets. And, and of course, uh, my personal favorite uh, is, uh, is this a, you know. And there is this uh, principle in our human existence that rings true in every segment of life. Being with someone or something leads to becoming like that someone or something, right? 
Being with leads to becoming like. It's a principle that I think applies to almost every area of life. Would you agree with that? Being with leads to becoming like. Entrepreneur Jim Rohn has said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You become a sum of the bits of the people that you interact with the most. It's the reason that high-powered business people seek out other high-powered business people to learn from and grow. And it's also the reason that parents care deeply about the friends that their kids choose. Being with leads to becoming like. I was talking to a friend uh, this week, and he was telling me about a cleanse that he was doing, you know, like one of these whole body cleanses. And and I just said to him, I'm like, cleanse, really? (laughs) That doesn't sound like you, because I, I knew this friend. Where did that idea come from? And he said to me, well, Keith... See, there's this girl I've been dating, <laughs> and she's really healthy, and, and I'm thinking to myself, of course, that's it. Being with her made my friend want to become a more healthy person. Being with leads to becoming like. And some of you married people, you've noticed this in your own relationship. You've picked up some mannerisms, some habits. You even begin to think like your spouse. The other day, uh, my wife and I had a a domestic moment where she said in the car, she said, Keith, I've moved where we put the vitamins. And she said, you're going to look in one place, the first place you think, and they're not going to be there, but you'll find them in the second place you look. Well, sure enough, I went to look for the vitamins, and they weren't in the first place, they were in the second place. (laughs) Being with leads to becoming life. And it's not just married, being like, and it's not just married couples. It happens to friends and and colleagues, the people we work with. A few years ago, I I was binge-watching a show on Netflix. And this is all going somewhere, trust me. And the show that I was watching on Netflix, night after night, it was not a wholesome show. But I watched it night after night for a few weeks in a row. And and after a while, I realized I, I was beginning to think about the show in my regular life. I'd be in a situation, and I'd think, well, I know what Walter White, the main character, would think and do right now. (laughs) Night after night of being with the character on television was shaping how I was seeing the world. Being with leads to becoming like. Social media does it to us, too. We spend time with with all of these images and advertisements in our faces and, and the opinions of other people. And whether we notice it or not, they shape who we become, how we think, what we buy, what we come to value, how we act. Being with leads to becoming like. It's a principle about our human existence that hits every segment of our lives. At work, in relationships, in marriage, in what we read, in what we watch, when we scroll, being with leads to becoming like. Would you agree? So what about in your Christian life? It seems to me that if one of the central things about following Jesus is to become like him, then it stands to reason that we need to cultivate ways of being with him in the myriad of things that we do every day and every week. In other words, if becoming like comes from being with, the question that every Jesus follower must have a good answer to is, what are the ways you spend time with Jesus? 
Do you have a rhythm for being with him in your life? Now, if you're new to church or to following Jesus, what I mean by spending time with Jesus is that Christians believe that God actually does meet with us personally through his Holy Spirit. We believe that that God, through the Holy Spirit, breathed life into every single human person. And it's that same Holy Spirit who can be the presence of Jesus to us in our everyday lives. And so, for instance, maybe you've been out hiking in creation and you feel this connection to something greater than yourself. We believe that greater one is the Holy Spirit who is introducing you to the God who made the heavens and the earth and made you too. And so, to my fellow followers of Jesus, the question remains, how do you spend time with Jesus these days? Because being with leads to becoming like. And can I suggest to you, quite sensitively, that if your life doesn't quite resemble Jesus's today, or if your life feels scattered and pulled in different directions, or if you're full of stress and and worry, can I suggest that might be because you've neglected spending time with the one you say you follow? Because I know that's how it works in my own life. When I lose my rhythm of spending time with Jesus, my life begins to feel pulled apart, scattered, uncentered, fractured. And so the question is, how can we live a life of walking with Jesus in the myriad of things that we do in any given week? Well, that's what I want to help you with over the next four or five weeks together to help you reset your life around the presence of Jesus, to help you become more like him by learning to be more with him throughout your day. And for centuries, Christians have walked these well-worn paths that keep us vitally connected to Jesus. Paths like Sabbath and Scripture and prayer, silence and solitude fasting, worship, and, 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 and generosity. And for centuries, these have been paths that, that God's people walk in order to open their lives to God's presence and to live with a greater enjoyment of Him. Not simply on a Sunday, but, but, but in every day of their living. And the truth of the matter is that, that all of us could do with a refresh in our life with God. We all need to learn how to walk with Jesus more closely and more consistently. And these pathways, they they help us do just that. And so for the next number of weeks, we're going to consider pathways. We're going to walk down them together. And I want to call you to meet Jesus on them. And today, I want to invite you to walk with Jesus more closely and more consistently through the pathway of Sabbath. Sabbath. Now, Sabbath, in its most literal sense, means to stop. To Sabbath is to take a day to stop. Stop working. Stop producing. Stop achieving. Stop the errands, the chores, the have-to-dos. To Sabbath is to stop and to rest. 
rest from the activity and to rest from the anxiety that we are so often caught up in, to rest, to stop and rest. It sounds really nice, doesn't it? (laughs) But I'm guessing that many of you are thinking, Keith, that sounds nice, but to be honest, I'm way too busy to Sabbath. (laughs) There is so much to do. There is no time for it. And I get it. But if this is your initial response to the idea of taking a Sabbath, then there is a good chance that you're someone who needs it more than anyone else. In the mid-1950s, there were a couple of cardiologists. Their names were Drs. Friedman and Rosenman, and they coined a term, and the term is hurry sickness. Maybe you've heard of it. It began when they noticed that the chairs that their patients would sit on were in perfect condition, except for a worn-out front few inches of the armrests of the chairs. And so the doctors began to ask some questions to figure this out, and they they came to realize that most of their patients had what they called a chronic sense of time urgency, that they were irritable and, and they had difficulty relaxing. They were anxious if ever there was a delay in in, in time, and they were always in a rush. They wore out the armrests with their restlessness. (laughs) According to some clinicians, hurry sickness is characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual uh, continual sense of urgency. (laughs) And I'm guessing that there are some of us in here who are sick with the busyness of our own lives. Ken Shigematsu is a pastor, and he makes the point in his book, God in My Everything, that the word busy in, in the Chinese language is the combination of the symbol for heart and the symbol for death. Embedded in the language is the idea that busyness kills the heart. And here's the point. We cannot enter into the abundant life Jesus has for us, let alone enjoy his presence when we're always busy running this way and that. So church, may you hear Jesus' invitation to you today. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Jesus' day, observing the Sabbath was really important. And I mean really important. Everyone observed the Sabbath. Not quite like today, but... But we need to ask the question, why? Why was it so important? Well, well, partly it was so important because it was something that God commanded of his people. It was one of the Ten Commandments, the fourth to be exact. Six days people are to work, and on the seventh day they are to rest. And this command was so important to God's people in the first century that scholars actually believe that Jesus was ultimately crucified by the religious leaders because he broke the Sabbath. It was that important. In Mark chapter 2, we actually read uh, about one such instance. And it says, 
One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? This is how important the Sabbath was. Picking heads of grain was actually considered work. And I wonder, maybe you grew up in a religious home that treated the Sabbath a little bit like this. That Sundays were basically a bunch of rules to follow. That's all they were. You couldn't go shopping. You couldn't go to the movies. You, you basically couldn't have fun. No laughing. <laughs> well, you can laugh here. That's the Sabbath rule. No laughing, no fun. <laughs> and this is always the pitfall of Sabbath. Legalism. Empty religion. Sometimes Sabbath has turned into a, a, sit of, a, a set of strict rules that, of do's and don'ts that are intended to keep our favor with God. But there's another pitfall when it comes to Sabbath in our church culture. And I actually think it's the more prevalent one for most of us today. And the pitfall is apathy. Some of us Christians, not wanting to be legalistic, we simply dismiss the Sabbath as unimportant altogether. Like something that we can take or leave. And what ends up happening is that, that our days bleed into one another and the stuff of life chokes out the stuff of God. And whether you're more prone to the pitfall of legalism or the pitfall of apathy, we all need to hear what Jesus said on that Sabbath day when his disciples picked some heads of grain. He goes on to say this in verse 27. He says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is that Sabbath is God's gift to help human beings flourish at being human beings. <laughs> Let me say it again. The Sabbath is God's gift to help human beings flourish at being human beings. <laughs> If you make Sabbath a set of rules, you miss the point. And if you dismiss it altogether, you'll never be fully human the way God made you to be. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read, uh, which actually is a Hebrew poem, about God's creation of the world and, and his place in it. And the features of this, this Hebrew poem, they highlight what is most important to us about human beings and, and our relationship to God. And one of those features in Genesis 1 and 2 is the Hebrew word bless. It's the word uh, barak. And it comes up three times in this opening creation narrative. Three times. And we need to pay attention uh, to what it means. Three times. The first time we hear the word bless. It comes up after God has made all of the animals. He's made, made all the animals, and then he blesses them with this invocation. He blesses them to be fruitful and multiply life upon the earth. The second time the word bless comes up is after he's made human beings. He makes them, and then he blesses them with this invocation to be fruitful and to multiply life upon the earth. And the third 
time God blesses. The third thing he blesses, you can probably guess what it is. God blesses the seventh day, the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And the question is why? Well, it's because the Sabbath is what we truly need to fill ourselves and our world with more life, to be fruitful and multiply the life of God upon the earth. In order to do it, we, we need the Sabbath. And it's also interesting that, that in Genesis 1 and 2, God, he, he creates human beings on the sixth day, right? We, we know the story. He creates human beings on the sixth day, and then the very next day, the seventh day, is when he implements Sabbath rest. That means that the very first full day that a human being exists on the earth was a day of rest. Think about that. God made us first, and then he invited us to rest. Not to work, but to rest. It means that we are designed to work from our rest, not rest from our work. Ken Shigematsu comments on this observation saying, it may sound like a very minor academic distinction, but here's the thing. When we understand that our life fundamentally begins with rest, we can affirm that our primary identity is not in what we do, but in the fact that we are loved by God. When we begin with rest, we can affirm that we are primarily not human doings, but human beings. Practicing Sabbath, it keeps us from becoming something that we're not meant to be. And it frees us into what we really are the children of God, beloved children of God. The Sabbath was made for human beings, for you, for me. We need it. We need it because Sabbath is about keeping people, keeping us from burnout, keeping us from the illusion that we are invincible and that the world will fall apart if we stop working keeping us thriving, keeping us connected to the source of life, God himself. We need the Sabbath. But there's another feature of God's invitation to Sabbath that, that I want you to notice, that, that Sabbath isn't simply resting from our work. It's about enjoying the very thing we are working toward. And we see that in the Genesis poem as well. See, on the seventh day, we're told that God rested, and that Hebrew word's an important one. The word carries the idea of, of settling into. To rest is to settle into. On the seventh day, God settled into the world he made. It's not like he, he made it and, and took off. He, he rested into the world. He, he inhabits the world he created. He settled in. And it reminds me of a, the day that I actually moved to Kelowna, which was almost 10 years ago now. I remember getting up early, getting in my car in North Vancouver and making the four-hour drive to Kelowna. And when I walked into our house, it was empty. It was, it was bare. It was stark. You, you probably have done this if you've moved house. And so that day, we busily moved boxes and beds and couches, and we took them up the stairs. We unpacked and organized. We, we assembled and arranged and rearranged. It was a long day of work. 
And then at the end of the day, as the work was finished, I remember the moment sinking into my couch and saying, finally I rested. And in that moment, something holy happened. As I looked around my house, it was no longer bare and stark and desolate. It was full. It had my fingerprint on it. And in that moment, my house became a home. In that moment, I entered into my house in a way that I hadn't during the day's work. In that moment of, ah, I entered into my home with delight, with with enjoyment. And that is what God intends for Sabbath to be for each one of us. A settling in. Enjoying the good things that God has given us. Delighting in the fruit of what we've been working for. If you work to grow flowers, Sabbath is the day you stop to smell the roses. And if you work to put food on the table for your family, Sabbath is the day you enjoy the taste of the food and you delight in the company of your family. If you work at your job or or at school to achieve, to, to become better, to make something better, the Sabbath is the day that you stop striving and you simply say, today I am enough because I'm God's child. See, when it comes to Sabbath rest, God is inviting you and I to join him in the holy enjoyment of all that he has made good in our world. To delight in the gifts he's given us. And above all, to delight in his presence in our life. Friends, you need a rhythm of Sabbath. We all do. It is God's gift to us to keep us to make us flourish, to give us eyes to see his good gifts and his constant presence. And so the question becomes, how can I walk the pathway of Sabbath week in and week out? Very practically, what steps can we take in the days ahead? Well, I know that a Sabbath rhythm is going to look different for, for every different person, but let me offer one guiding principle as we think about what it can look like to be people of Sabbath. One guiding principle, Mark Buchanan, my pastor growing up, he he would say that Sabbath is a day to cease from what is necessary and to embrace that which gives life. I love that. He writes in his book, The Rest of God, he says, Sabbath is a reprieve from what you ought to do, even though the list of oughts is indefinitely long and never done. Sabbath is the day you trade places with them, those oughts. They go into the salt mine and you go out dancing. You get to willfully ignore the many niggling things your existence genuinely depends on and is so often hobbled beneath so that you can turn to whatever you've put off and pushed away for lack of time, lack of room, lack of breath. You get to shuck the have-tos and lay hold of the get And so herein lies the principle to shape the next year of Sabbaths in your own life. Cease from what is necessary and embrace what gives you life. John Mark Comer poses the same principle as a question. 
And he says that, that when it comes to practically living into the Sabbath day, we can ask ourselves a question, and it's this. What could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with a throbbing joy, that would make me spontaneously combust with wonder, awe, gratitude, and praise? Church, God's inviting you to answer that question in your own life with Him today. To walk the path of Sabbath. Because being with leads to becoming like. Let's pray. Jesus, we take a moment even to, to rest in our breath. Jesus, I want to thank you for the gift of Sabbath that you have given us. Not only do you invite us to rest because you know we need it, you love us so much that you made it a command. <laughs> because, Jesus, sometimes we need to be told to stop. And, Jesus, it's because you love us, it's because you have our best at heart. And so I want to pray your blessing over these, your people, us, your people. And I pray, Jesus, that in the year ahead that we would learn to Sabbath well. And that maybe through these times of rest that you would breathe life into things that have gone dead in us. Lord, I pray that you would raise up in us an, enjoy an enjoyment of you, of your presence and an enjoyment of, of our families and, and our friends in a way that we haven't known before because we take time to stop and to appreciate and delight. And Jesus, where we have been legalistic, we confess. And where we've been apathetic, we confess. And we ask Jesus in a way that only you can do with the love of God, you would... Lead us on a new path. <laughs> that you'd bring us to life. So we rest in your love this morning. We delight in your name. And we pray these things in your name.